You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Stephen, welcome to Real Faith Stories. Man, it's an honor to have you on the show today. Yeah, I'm so honored to be with you today. I'd love for you to share your backstory and your salvation experience, which was incredible. And then this whole shift into what you experienced on the mission field and then how that affected your experience as a pastor and what that's doing in the lives of the people that are in your congregation. How's that sound? Perfect. That's a lot to cover, but we'll do it. We have five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for me, I go back to being raised in a Christian home. I, my dad was a Southern Baptist pastor for 40 years and was raised in a, a an amazing home. Matter of fact, I never saw my dad raise his voice at my mom, never heard my dad cuss. My dad's just a good man who loves Jesus. I, however, kind of started to really slip away eighth, ninth grade, got into drug use and the whole just striving for popularity and was not in a good school. And that, so that didn't help. By 11th grade, was taking really heavy drugs. By 12th grade, had been arrested on a felony. And after I graduated, got arrested another time and had my first drug overdose, found myself laying on a a public restroom floor after having a seizure. And that actually happened twice. I didn't learn my lesson the first time. You know, what's interesting about all of that is that I still had a fear of the Lord. And it's hard to believe, but I, I believed in God, but I had not really made him Lord. And I think it's everybody wants him as savior, but few really make him Lord. So I just kept spiraling. What's the difference between making him savior and making him Lord? What's the chasm there? Well, I would just say that we all want saving because I don't think there's anyone who would say that they're perfect. And so I think we're born with this innate sense of there's something that that's not right inside of me. And saving is like, wow, I get to I get to spend eternity in the good place instead of the bad place. And I think that's a good place to start. But I think true salvation is when he becomes Lord, which means, Lord, thank you for saving me. But now my life is not my own anymore. It is yours. And I I submit myself, my actions, my future into your hands, regardless of what I feel, whether I like it or not. And that's where transformation takes place. So you had that experience. Yeah. So for me, the t- really terrible pastor's kid I really put my parents through a lot and just was kind of looked down on from the people in the church. It's funny, I pastor a church now and I hated church. When I was a senior in high school, I, I hotboxed my car on the way to church with marijuana and pulled up to the church parking lot and opened my doors and, and smoke billowed out. And, you know, the deacons were staring at me and I just was, <laughs> I just didn't care. I was like, you know, I just thought they were all fake. Never, ever wanted to be a pastor. When I was 19, one of my friends who I partied with, he spoke prophetically and he didn't know it, but God used him. And he said to me one time, he said, Stephen, there's something different about you. He said for us, and he kind of pointed to the friends who were there. He's like, this is who we are. He's like, but there's something on your life and I can't even put words to it, but I think you should consider kind of getting out of this lifestyle. And um, God used that to begin to stir me. And he actually said, why don't you consider joining the Coast Guard? So I said, sure. The one who's giving this prophetic word about you're different than the rest of us. 
yeah, it was really interesting and weird that he would even say that. Yeah, I just was strange. But, you know, I went home and I thought about it. And again, having a fear of the Lord, I said, man, maybe this is a chance for me to do something with my life. And so interesting fact, though, the night before boot camp, I went out with my friends and I told them, hey, I'll just designate drive back. They're going to drug test me in the morning, so I can't do any drugs. And one thing led to another. And I that night did every drug under the sun. So I woke up feeling like a failure, like, man, you, you can't even get this right. So I went to Cape May, New Jersey, Coast Guard boot camp, feeling like, well, they're going to kick me out, feeling like a failure. Well, four weeks in, when they announced who's getting kicked out because they failed the drug test, my name was not called. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And it was the first moment for me that I really felt the Holy Spirit, not audibly, but just I felt the impression of the Holy Spirit say, Stephen, I have better for you. And so that evening, I was marching along with my company and nobody was talking to me. Obviously, we're marching and and the sun was going down and I just had a Saul to Paul moment. The Holy Spirit kind of gripped my heart and I just began to weep and nobody knew what was happening to me in the moment. But, you know, I told the Lord, I said, I don't know what this looks like. I don't have this figured out, but I'm, I'm done running. My life is yours. And I began to sing the old hymn that I, I grew up singing. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And I made that my anthem. And I love verse two. It says, Though none go with me, still I will follow. And man, I dedicated that to the Lord that afternoon, late afternoon in Cape May, New Jersey. And my life has never been the same. I've, I've really never looked back. I immediately started leading prayer and boot camp before bed. And interestingly, that they actually sent me to my first station was New Orleans. This was 2001. And in 2000, I, I was living in Tallahassee, but I, I traveled to New Orleans to party for New Year's of 2000. So 2000 New Year's, I'm in the middle of Bourbon Street taking drugs and partying. One year later, I'm in Bourbon Street saved and set free and stationed in that same town, a totally different person. Incredible. What was it that your parents said when you circled back with them and told them what happened? Because I'm sure they'd been praying for years. There was no calling home in boot camp, but you could write letters. And I started writing my parents and telling them what happened. And of course, they were, you know, so excited. But even when I got back, there were people close to me because, man, I was I was passionate. I was radical. I was like, man, if I'm going to go all out for the world, I can go all out for Jesus. I remember uh, an afternoon after I got back, I, I used to drive a little Mitsubishi Eclipse. And I had, back then you had CDs and I, under my seat was my big book of, of CDs that was all trash music and I and my cigarettes and all the stuff that I had in my car. And I'm driving 50 miles an hour. I don't recommend doing this, but I just, as a prophetic act of what God had done, I just threw it all out the window wow. as, like a, as like a sign to myself to say, I, this isn't me anymore. I'm a new person. So my parents were obviously thrilled, but I had a lot of people close to me say, oh, this isn't going to last. You're just calm down. This is just a phase. I know who you really are. And 20 years later, I'm burning stronger than I was then. So, Well, you had shared that there was an experience you had doing short-term missions, or was it mm -hmm. more long-term? I spent a year in the mission field. So I went to Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas, and still had no, no clue what I wanted to do or what God wanted me to do. So let me grab a little context here. When did that occur with respect to the Coast Guard? What was the timing there? I got called to ministry 
while I was in the Coast Guard, I was going to be a rescue swimmer. And I was ready to sign my papers. And as I was sitting in the office with my chief ready to sign, the Holy Spirit said, don't sign. So I, I'm like, chief, sorry, I'm going to have to come back. And he's like, well, you got an hour. So I went into one of the bunk rooms and locked the door and got on my knees and said, Lord, I'm not leaving this room until you speak to me. And basically God spoke to me in that moment and said, I'm calling you to give your life to ministry, to serve me in that way. And interestingly, at that time had no gift to communicate, didn't even like to share in a small group and no musical gifts. So I didn't know what that looked like, but had just committed to give God my yes. So 2003, Hurricane Katrina comes, which is right when I'm getting out of the Coast Guard. My wife and I had just gotten married. We lose our home in Katrina. Wow. Fun fact, the Thursday before the storm, I had re-landscaped my whole house by hand <laughs> to get it ready to put put up for sale because we were moving to Dallas. Then three, three, three days later, Hurricane Katrina comes and destroys everything. So from there, we um, recover from Katrina, move to Dallas. And go into Bible college, and I meet a, a guy who's now one of my best friends, Jervis Fisher, who uh, was from Belize, Southern Belize, and felt called to go back there and start children's home. So my wife and I, he asked us to pray about joining him. My wife and I felt the Lord say go. So we graduated Christ for the Nations and had our first son, Caleb, and he was about four months old. And we gave everything away and moved to the mission field. We ended up staying a year, but when we went, we just we went thinking maybe we're going to be there forever. We just thought until God tells us to come back. So yeah, that's how we kind of landed in the jungles of Belize. So what is it that you experienced in that time that really shifted some things for you regarding the power of God and the gifts of the Spirit? So I remember we would do a lot of ministry in these Mayan villages, and, and these villages have witch doctors. And I remember the first time we were ministering and we we went by the witch doctor's home and they invited us in, which Jervis said never happens. And I remember walking in this place and every hair on my body stood up and I, I felt the tangible presence of evil. And this witch doctor said, here's where we do the sacrifices. Here's where we call the spirits and tell them what we want them to do. And, you know, we see that stuff in movies, but I felt evil in that room and I began to just pray under my breath. We we would work with locals who would talk about witch doctors putting curses on people. And, and one guy that we worked with lost his wife. She had been cursed from a witch doctor and she bled to death. I mean, when you're living there, this is real life. And uh, so we began to get up every morning and pray for a few hours before we would go out. And I really just learned the reality of spiritual warfare. Now, growing up in a Baptist home, that's not talked about a whole lot, but I saw physical miracles with my own eyes. A lady's swollen knee, we laid hands on her knee, and within five seconds saw the swelling completely go down and, and healed her knee. So these kind of experiences will mark you. And no matter what you grew up believing, when you experience things like this, it changes you. Yeah. I just hearken back to a, a statement I've heard over and over, and that is the man with experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. What were some other things that you experienced that totally ripped the lid off in terms of the view of everything? For me, it was just a dependence on the Holy Spirit and, and confidence that no matter what we faced, that who we carried, the name of Jesus was above all names. So in a sense, I grew in my, my confidence as a son of God and knowing that no matter what I face, I have authority in Christ over that. And so fear began to leave and I began to pray with more boldness and just 
living in that environment, we had no AC, mosquitoes and tarantulas and scorpions and some relational tension that we were, that we went through that God used. I felt like I was in a, in an oven like a year, but I feel like I grew spiritually 20 years in a year. And so when God called us back to the States, I, I knew why he called us there. It was in preparation for what we're doing now. What happened with respect to the call back to the States? How did that happen? You know, my dad had um Southern Baptist pastor, and he's gone through four different church splits and a lot of pain. I've seen my parents on the kitchen table too many times crying, which is why I didn't like church and never wanted to be a pastor and the, po- the politics of it all and having to win over the right team or committee and heard people say terrible things about my parents that weren't true. And so he decided to break from the Southern Baptist and start his own church. And so he started a church um, in, I think it was 2005 in Pinellas County. And after a, a year or two, we, that's is when we were in, the, in Belize, I kind of felt the Lord just saying, I think your time here is over. I want you to go help your dad. And I was nervous about that because we were so committed to what we were doing in Belize. And when I shared it with my wife, she said, that's crazy because I've been thinking the same thing. So that was confirmation for me. It was difficult to tell Jervis and Melissa, but they understood. And so we made plans and moved to Central Florida with no possessions and no job. And at the time, my dad's church was small, maybe 70 people. And so he couldn't afford to bring me on on staff or anything. And, you know, I just continued to give God my yes, whether it was in Belize or whether it was uh, here in Central Florida. So I worked multiple jobs and just started serving. We did youth ministry. We did worship ministry. We did college ministry. We did janitor ministry and (laughs) everything else. And that's the beginning of when I felt God really preparing me for what I'm doing now and giving me a heart. Because we moved here. I didn't like this area. The church wasn't. It was not Baptist, but still, it just didn't feel like what my wife and I would love to be a part of, and almost like just there was a comfortableness there. And so I asked God to send me other places multiple times, and He never would, and just kept saying to me, just trust me. And so we we served for eight or so years. I just honored my dad and things that I didn't agree with everything he did, but God told me, if you honor him, I'll honor you. And so that's what I did. In 2017, he came to me and said, hey, I think it's time for you to take over the church. And so we knew based on a prophetic word that I had just been given a week before that from a 78-year-old missionary woman who spent her life traveling the world and preaching the gospel. She prayed over me and said, Stephen, you're about to come into a leadership role and God's going to use you to pioneer a move of God in your area. And this is coming very quickly. And um, again, felt the tangible presence of the Lord. That next week is when my dad said, hey, I feel like God's telling me it's time for you to take over the church. And so I love it. We just knew, my wife and I knew, never never wanted to be a pastor, which in some ways I'm thankful for because even in how I lead now, I'm not up there to try to please people because I never chased the microphone. So if it's ever taken from me, I'm okay with that. I'm just here to do what God says and honor Him first. Let me pause and circle back. When you got back to the States, as you saw how life was being done after being away for a year and all that you experienced in the Lord, what was that like to see the differences now versus when you left? It was difficult to come back to, uh, you know, you go from having spiritual warfare every day to everybody's comfortable and just it's apparent that in a sense, you almost feel like, do people even need God here? They're just, 
so in their own world and everybody's striving for comfort that there's almost this deception that evil is really not going to ever hit my plate. And so we're going to believe God to the extent that we get a free ticket to heaven, but then we're just going to live our life and pursue happiness. And for us, we'd experienced more and we knew that there was more and we knew that there was a spirit realm operating even behind those people's own complacency. So for us, when we took over, we knew that we wanted to build a culture in a church where my Southern Baptist roots, I, I still cherish them. I love the Word of God. I love theology. I think, man, I, I'm so thankful for the Bible, but I'm also thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when I go, it's going to be better for you because I'm leaving you the comforter. I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit. When we took over, I kind of felt out of place because I, I have this honor of the Word but I have the gifts of the Spirit that I want to see moving. And I, I felt like if I would go into a Pentecostal church, I'm like, there were times where I would feel like the Word is not really a foundation for them, and it's all experience. And sometimes I would go to the traditional church and feel like it's all Word and there's no life or there's no you know, moving of the Spirit. So I didn't really know where I fit. But once we started the church, I'm like, let's just build a church the way we feel God calling us to and bring that balance. And so we did that, and we've seen so many people from the traditional church come into our church and feel a trust in the room um, because of my honor of the Word of God to then open their heart to things of the Holy Spirit that they have never experienced before. And we've seen families literally transformed. And so God's really used us as a bridge, I believe, for people who are just kind of hungry for more. What is it that you say to people that may come to you, they have to be really honest in the confession of, I feel complacent, I'm comfortable, but I know there's more. How do you counsel somebody that is in that space to move out of that? For me, we're about to have our fifth year anniversary, so I feel the Lord calling me into more of, I just feel a little more bold than to just really say it like it is. And if you've gone to our church, our people feel that just because of the pace that our culture is pushing against us. I feel the need for, this is a season where, where we need men and women full of the Spirit to, to be on the front lines and, and to challenge, number one, the evil agenda that's being pushed on us, but number two, the church, the complacent church. There's a lot of churches who, you know, if the Holy Spirit left, they wouldn't even know it. And there's a lot of churches that, and, and people that I just believe complacency is a is a dishonor to what Christ did for us. So for me, I would just simply say I would stir them out of it. At our church, we say that we exist to bring people into freedom through daily encounters in God's presence. So for us, it's not just about a Sunday. You don't just eat food on a Sunday. If you do, you're malnourished. And there's a lot of malnourished Christians. We push people to meet with God, find out how you best connect with God, and meet with Him every day. And weave in the Word of God, prayer, and worship in your daily routine. And we're seeing transformation and freedom in people's lives. So I just tell people, hey, if there was more of God, would you want it? And typically they're going to say yes. And, <laughs> and then I would say, God says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So he didn't say that everybody would be filled. He just said the ones who are hungry and thirsty. So I feel it is my job to sort of lovingly nudge people out of their complacency. I, I I told our church yesterday, actually, I said, a good pastor will comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Yeah, so true. You probably know this very deeply, but the word repentance, the Greek word is metanoia, correct? Mm -hmm. And that means a change of mind. And so 
I think, at least from my experience, Stephen, when I have asked the Lord to help me change my mind, for example, complacency or God, please give me a sense of urgency in this day to evangelize, to tell people mm-hmm. about Jesus, he honors those prayers. He does. And I'm about to lose it just <laughs> as I'm saying this because it's so true. I can just say from my own experience, the past month, I have been hearing that, seeing that. And don't you love how the Lord takes all these different and disparate points and speaks to you through all those different things, but it's the same theme and same message? That's right. Yep. So true. Such an indicator that the Lord is moving and He's confirming these things. Yeah. And I I believe that COVID was obviously, the pandemic was terrible. It shook the church, and I feel a good way. And it, it shook us out of our, hey, let's see who can build the biggest church, and let's see if we can fit a 747 jet in our lobby and who has the best lattes in it. And it's revealing. And, and a lot of those churches now are dying and uh, because people want something real. You know, I tell our people, I said, look, if you're here church shopping, you should only have one checkbox on your list. Do you feel God here? Like, is the word of God preached and you feel the presence of the Lord in that place? And and let's throw out all of these things that we think really matter, like what kind of snacks are they going to give my kids and kids ministry? And you know, it's just, we, we're after seeing lives change. We're after our, a city saved for the glory of God. Our our county has a million people and 780,000 of those don't know Jesus and that should burden us. And so I just feel like a pioneer in our area to say, listen, let's wake up. Let's look up and realize that the the fields are ripe for harvest. Don't say we'll wait two or three months. No, look and pay attention and look around and notice that today is the day that God has called us to make a difference. I'm not going to wait until tomorrow because tomorrow is not promised. So I want to make the most out of today. And I just believe if we do that, God will use us to advance his kingdom. And there's a remnant rising up who will who will stand in the face of opposition and know that we have the best message in the world. We have the only message that can transform a life. We are, as believers, literally a walking, breathing, living answer to someone's question. Yep. And if we would embrace that and recognize all that God has deposited in us to be that answer— and that we don't have to strive. He'll give us the words to speak in that moment, right? right? He'll tell us what to say. And oftentimes, and you've probably experienced this as well, you don't even know you're saying something. And then a year later, years later, a day later, someone circles back and said, you know, when you said that, it really pierced my heart. You're like, I didn't even know I said that. Yep. Yep. That's how God works. How can people find out more about your ministry you know, our church is in Largo, Florida, which is the Tampa Bay area. Our website is gengenchurch.com. And uh, yeah, you can follow us on social media and Generation Church. We've seen a lot of growth, but we feel like it's because we're in one of the darkest areas, literally top five in, in foster care in the, in the country, wow. top five in strip clubs per capita in the country, top five in opioid addiction in the country. And, uh, and so we've got a lot of work to do. We're, we're starting a, an offsite. We have three acres offsite. We're starting a community center. We're calling Sela Place with five tiny homes where we're going to help minister to women and children who've been abused. And we want to reach people that may never come to us. And, and so that's what we're doing. We're going to, we're going to take over one city at a time. So that's our heart. We're going to let Jesus be lifted up. What's one of the 
key pieces of advice or thought you'd like to leave with our listeners before you pray? We can overcomplicate Christianity, and I'm convinced that if we would spend time with the Lord, intentional time with the Lord every day, that we would need less counseling, we would need less medication, we would have more peace, we would have more power, we would be more confident, we would be better prepared to face the trials and oppositions of the day. And so I know it seems overly simple, but I think we need to get back to simple. Meet with Jesus every day. Get in the Word of God every day. Encounter His presence. It's there not just on Sundays, but every single day. And for me, I block out a time. I'm intentional. I don't just wait until you know the best moment. I block out two hours. Now, you do whatever you guys want or when it works for you, but I have two hours set aside to spend with Jesus every day. And that has made the biggest impact in my life. And I don't sermon prep during that time, by the way. It's my personal time with the Lord um, where I get to minister to Him and He gets to minister to me. So that would be my thought is just don't neglect that time with the Lord every day. So good. As we finish, would love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Yeah, Lord, I just thank you for every person listening, no matter where they are, maybe in their home. I speak peace into that home and those rooms, those children's rooms. And I just pray for a shift to take place where maybe there's been complacency. Lord, I ask that there would be a stirring, a fanning of the flame, that people would hunger and thirst for you and that you would begin to give them eyes to see, ears to hear. Lord, those that may be driving in a car and feeling the anxiety of the week, I just pray peace over them. Lord, I pray that Um, I thank you that peace is not a concept, Lord, that you are peace, that you are the God of peace. And so I pray peace for those. And and, and Lord, ultimately, I just pray that you would raise up some men and women, some children who are just unashamed of the gospel and who are unashamed to live the truth and, and who will stand in the face of an opposing culture and say, I will not bow to any God but Jesus. And my God is able, my God is more than able to deliver me. But even if he doesn't, I will, I will still praise him. I will still serve him and give my life to him. So Lord, let that remnant rise. And I thank you for those that are listening, that they're going to feel that impartation from you. Bless them in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Stephen, for sharing your story. So powerful. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.